Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and changemakers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and the lives of those driving the entrepreneurial movement in Canada. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Curtis, and welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Today, we're thrilled to have Jonathan Moody on the show. Growing up north of Toronto, Jonathan attended the University of Ottawa and began working on Ottawa's thriving tech sector during the late 90s. Jonathan has spent more than 15 years helping organizations change the way they do business through technology. With a background focused on the internet, hosted technologies, and most recently cloud services, Jonathan focuses on helping firms of all sizes realize the business-changing benefits of services such as Salesforce.com, Google Apps, Asana, and hosted communications such as Versature's hosted PBX. Jonathan is active both in and out of work. He races sailboats north of Toronto and in the nation's capital, organizes Versature's hockey team and is a certified ski instructor. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you. Happy to be here. And we're just as happy to have you. So before we get into today's conversation, uh, I want to start off by asking you, what's the one thing you want entrepreneurs to take away from this conversation today? I think when we talked about our business and where we've been and the, the journey that we've been through, I, I I always fall back on on one thing, which is that we always wanted to do it right. We always weren't in a rush. And when I look at a lot of entrepreneurs, and especially look at VC in different areas, uh, there's always a, a rush to get somewhere. Uh, you know, how do you cut corners? How do you do things differently? And and in a lot of ways, it's the the long game. Do it right. Build what you're looking to build. Um, and if you're ever wonder if you should do something one way or another, look at it and say, you know, am I going to look back on this and, and regret this decision? And if the answer is you're going to regret it, then uh, go think a little bit harder about uh, why you're doing that and make sure it really is the, the best path because in the end, uh, that's that's what will work for you. Uh, you'll get to where you want to be. It just might take you a little bit longer and a little bit more effort. And I think that's one of the biggest things too because, I mean, uh, if you do it right from the start, it means you do it once. Or if you do it uh, right from the start, you only do it once and you improve on it from there as opposed to having to go back and, you know, sprint 20 miles ahead and realize you forgot your shoes at the starting line. Yeah, and it's easy to say that as you just sit here and sort of armchair quarterback it. But, 
um, you know, the, some of those decisions are hard decisions to, to, to go the long way or, or maybe slow down and think about it. Um, or uh, as I'm sure I'll, I'll talk about, you know, go after the easy money, which often happens. I find a lot of entrepreneurship. Mm. So kind of, uh, kind of building on that and, and I'm also now wondering too, how this fits into your experience as an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm wondering if you could tell us the story of, uh, of Virtuner, uh, uh, I'll try that again. I wonder if you can tell us the story of Versature and what inspired you to build this business. For sure. So Versature is a, it was an interesting story. It grew out of, uh, there's actually uh, three co-founders originally. And one of the co-founders had a, I want to say a sister company um, that was in the IT space. And so they're providing a business IT services starting in the 90s, actually, helping, you know, make sure that mice were plugged in, that, uh, you know, Windows servers ran properly, helping customers whose maybe internet didn't work at all. And we're not talking about sort of new cloud and, and mobile devices. You know, we're talking about the old Blackberries um, back in the day, making sure all those things worked. And what we found was that there was this this gap in the marketplace. And we were looking at IT from a very technology-centric uh, approach, right? Uh, using the internet, web browsers, and and all that side of the business. And remember, there was no cloud back then, per se. That That term wasn't being used. And so there was a second side of the business, which was phones. And we had these customers who had phones on all their desks. And yet, it was a very legacy approach to that. When you needed to have a new staff set up, yeah, they rolled a truck into your office. They came in and rewired things and did some fancy work in the basement. Um, and it was a frustration for a lot of our clients. We sold on a, an all-you-can-eat model. They paid a monthly fee for us. We took care of all of their needs. If their staff called in 25 times, didn't cost them any more than the staff only called in three times. It was all a focus on delivering quality. And so at the early days, we couldn't deliver that service. We were a technology company based around computers, right? Uh, TCP IP or the networking protocols. And so what happened was... Interestingly enough, voice over IP took that telephone technology and switched it over out of the old world into a world that we happen to be very familiar with uh, and understood. And so as that happened, the original use case we had was actually an internal use case. We moved over to voice over IP first, you know, eat your own dog food. And uh, we actually had a staff mm. member who moved from Ottawa to Chicago uh, to get married. And we managed to keep, he was the supervisor for our support team at the time, and we managed to keep him on, uh, still leading that group, still taking phone calls and working with customers, but sitting in Chicago uh, rather than sitting in Ottawa. And so it was a pretty, uh, you know, game-changing event to be able to do this. No one believed it, right? The clients call in and speak to them after calling an Ottawa number. Uh, we're talking about, you know, the early 2000s here. No one had any idea mm. that uh, how it was even possible this guy could be sitting in Chicago. It was still very expensive when you think about long distance back then. And uh, so it quickly grew from there. We ended up selling to uh, our clients with a similar configuration uh, who were looking to get set up for different reasons. And then eventually it, it became mainstream as to you know what it is today. And uh, we really are the norm when you talk about business phone communications now, you know, using IP and, and voice over IP to, to solve business problems. Mm. That's that's fantastic, and it seems like again, like yeah, it's uh, it seems to me like what was kind of core in uh, in launching and driving Versature was uh, was this kind of like early access to the space or just being you know early movers in the space. And uh, and can you tell me like can you? I think what I want to hone in on is like what uh, was kind of the aha moment if there was one where it's just like you know this this combination of uh, when you recognized the need and when you also recognized you had the solution to meet that need. I mean, looking back, it's kind of easy to point out aha moments, I think. But in reality, when we were 
you know, knee, neck deep or whatever you want to say into the uh, eyeballs deep some days, uh, into the, the realities of delivering type of service. It, it was an, it was an, an evolution more than a, you know, than a revolution. We were always focused on delivering what our customers needed, which was, uh, you know, a core focus of reliability. We were replacing an, an old piece of technology that, uh, generally just worked and we were replacing it with something that needed to just work but then also delivered early things like voicemail to email. And uh, even today, we sign new customers up. I'm like, what do you mean I can get voicemail to email? And, uh, you know, it's pretty easy. It's an email that comes in with an attachment of your voicemail. But you're no longer dialing in if uh, you probably don't even know these days. But uh, dialing in and, and putting in your PIN code to get to that recording, right? And have to listen to it and then press 7 to delete or 9 to rewind or whatever the code was. The bane of most office workers' existence. We could deliver that in an email. They could get it on a mobile device. They could forward it to somebody else if it wasn't to them, uh, all in their email software. And we're now doing transcriptions on that. So you can actually read the, the contents of that, uh, that voicemail and we attach it so you have it as a reference. But uh, to me, that was one of those where people, why, you know, why has this not existed? Holy, we're connecting the, the old world. And uh, at that point, email, which was the new world, uh, together into one. Mm. You know, it's it's actually funny. Yeah, on on that uh, on that note, you're exactly right. I mean, because we use Versature here in the office, and uh, the first time I got uh, you know my uh, my email copy of my voicemail, I was like, "What is this? Who's this from? And how is this even? You know, how how does this even happen? I didn't even know this was uh, like a business tool that uh, that people use." But again, it's um such an interesting juncture to be a part of. I'm sure again being uh, you know bringing. Uh, you know, dragging the old world to uh, to meet the new world, and and really just bridging the gap where uh, where you found there to be um, a need for one. And you can't interrupt what's going on, right? All these businesses that we're working with have yep. their own businesses to run, and so I've always been a, a believer, and and you said it in the intro, of using technology to help business. It's not it's not the reverse. Uh, you know, technology isn't there to be served; it's there to to serve our businesses and what we need to get done every day. So I, I think what I want to do then is um, is also now from here uh, get into kind of the journey of Versature after you after you became established and we're like okay like you know there is a need for this this is something we can build and move and and uh, mold off of I want to know like how since then it shifted uh, and you uh, you mentioned before we started speaking about um, the acquisition and uh, if you could take us through that journey and uh, and what life is like uh, today coming through that, uh, that, uh, you know, tunnel and looking back. Absolutely. And so for us, it was a, uh, you know, I'm going to say a slower journey and, and I, I don't mean that in a, in a negative term, but I think that we, we did it right. We understood the client base, we understood the marketplace and we did, uh, things in a sustainable way. And so we didn't raise, uh, you know, a heavy VC round where we had VCs chasing us to, you know, sell. We, had uh, went through the 08 uh, recession or crash or however you want to talk about 08 um, financial crisis. Uh, actually, very well off. A lot of clients questioned their existing approaches and came to us. We uh, then continued to, to grow right on through until uh, the fall of uh, 2018. It was when we were acquired uh, by a firm uh, trade on the New York Stock Exchange out of New York who was looking at a global approach. And so they already owned uh, companies in our space in the US, uh, as well as South America. We're getting into Mexico, launching Hong Kong, and have actually in the last six months also made an acquisition in Spain to get into Europe. And so they have a approach of think globally, act locally. And so in that same time frame since the acquisition, we, we were just under 40 staff. 
when uh, when we were acquired, and we're now uh, just up to 80 staff. So we've doubled uh, the headcount. We, uh, of course, are also doubling our, our growth rate and uh, really investing both obviously in staff here in Ottawa, and we have a couple of staff now right across Canada, but also making use, we include calling to, to 30 countries. So really, you know, the, the classic synergies uh, of how we can go to market, how we can use that scale, uh, and not only the capital, because everyone gets excited, you know, you've got some, some backers with, with money, how can you do it as an entrepreneur? Um, to be honest, in the latter years of, of our growth, capital became less and less of a problem as the world matured to the SaaS model, the bank started to, to take it more fondly. But now we actually have access to technologies and infrastructure, marketing plays, staffing, expertise that uh, you know we didn't have uh, in previous years. And so my day-to-day is transitioned. I was uh, um, running most of the organization at the, tr- at the time of the uh, uh, the transaction. So I, I'm still in the same title, a uh, chief operating officer and, and president. Um, we, uh, went through that and, and now obviously have a much, a larger team and I have a boss in a different way instead of two partners. Uh, I have, a uh, uh, I report directly into the U S parent company, which mm. is uh, a, d- a different experience for sure, but a uh, great learning curve for myself. Mm. And yeah, I, I, I think that's, a. Uh such, such an interesting case in, in some ways. And, and one question I do want to ask you too is I'm kind of building from, well, I mean, really building your own company, having it, uh, having it be sold and, and, uh, and acquired by somebody else. What's it like making that transition uh, in a leadership role from, again, being, you know, the, the one who's, uh, who's got their hand in the wheel? Uh, and not that that's changed again, as you said, you're, you're doing the same role, but uh, what's, how has your role shifted? Um, and it being from you being, you know, the founder and one of the partners of the original organization to now reporting to somebody else. I, I would say the bigger difference has been the size of the organization. So as I've learned to just skill set and the growth moving from, okay. you know, 40, 40 headcount to 80 headcount, moving from all staff located in Ottawa to now having a small team in Toronto and our first staff members in Western Canada now. So that, that's been the bigger transition for me. Uh, so the other thing is around the, mm-hmm. the other area that I'm personally very focused on is how to make sure that we're using all those business advantages that we have, right? So the networks that we have in place, the expertise that we have, the capital we have access to, are we deploying all those pieces to the the, the fullest that we possibly can to get the best business results? Because if we're not, I'm not doing my job and not all these things are uh, always apparent, right? You know, when when you're trying to answer a solution, check, are they doing something different in South America, something in Europe? Uh, when we need to close a deal that has a you know a large Mexican office, are we working with the uh, the team in Mexico to make sure we're delivering everything that we can to to win that deal? So, Jonathan, you're one of Canada's leading proponents of Salesforce as a tool to scale sales. How has Salesforce improved your sales, and what else from the platform has contributed to internal productivity and growth? Absolutely, I'm a big fan of Salesforce, um, but I think really I'm a big fan of. Uh, business tools that allow us to connect all of our different data together and even better allow us to do it without having to spend our own resources building such uh, functionality. And so uh, the, the quick kind of explanation I'd give you there is that years ago when we looked at, at Salesforce and sign up was almost 10 years ago now, um, we did so because we had built ourselves some of our own back office tooling to maintain the business, to run the business. We saw it as an investment. We build the right back office, the business is gonna grow, we're gonna do better because of it. Um, And unfortunately, I don't think that's accurate anymore. And so I'm a big believer that we actually wanna put all of our staff focused on our product side. So whether that's selling, supporting, building our own products. Mm. Instead, 
companies end up having to build their back office. And so maybe their product doesn't develop quite as quickly, right? Maybe their executives are focused on building this magic thing in the back end that no one's ever going to see. Yes, it's going to offer them a business advantage, but it better be a really big business advantage. So in Salesforce's world, you can do this without code. So if you have, you know, developers are expensive, developers are hard to, to keep motivated and, and uh, on track what you want them to do. And there's a lot of risk generally in development projects. And so Salesforce helps minimize those risks, helps speed up those t- timelines by being able to build those back office tools, uh, ideally without code, ideally without needing to have developers involved. And then you can focus on your core product. And so we did that and now we run everything in Salesforce, our billing platforms, our customer care side of things, our renewals, everything gets tracked in Salesforce. And yet we don't put uh, developer billing cycles on it. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's that whole approach of just, you know, why reinvent the wheel if there's one that already exists and, you know, you can take it and, and adapt it and suit it to your needs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a conversation I love because you get into ecosystems then and wh- why do we need to reinvent it? The odds are somebody has already thought about what we're trying to do. Let's go out and learn from them. Ideally, let's use what they've what they what they've invented, and yeah, we may need to pay for it. And sometimes in the Salesforce world, you kick back on the costs. But my ROI calculator goes up pretty fast, and I start putting developer cycles, executive cycles, and then the timelines to build this stuff and planning mm-hmm. wrong, and you got to build it again. Mm. And that's actually a, a beautiful lead in uh, to my next question on the note of um, you know, if it already exists, it's probably in the ecosystem somewhere. And and I want to know what you would consider to be your key learnings over the years that uh, that would be most useful to our listeners. And I think the common thread we have with this conversation here is just is is constantly going back to, you know, there's probably already something out there that will save you having to build, you know, things on your back end and let you focus on really, you know, what part of what parts of your business make you different and what, you know, the actual part of your business is that you're selling. A hundred percent. That's where my focus would be. Uh, I mean, it, it, we, in, in a wider sense, made a decision in the early years to be uh, a single product company. And we didn't veer off that at all. We looked at becoming an internet service provider. We looked at getting into consulting at certain points, different businesses. Uh, often it's because a customer comes to you and goes, we really like to pay you a lot of money to do X. And uh, man, some days it, it's really hard in those early days to look at each other and go, we're going to say no to this money because we believe that what we're doing is where we want to be and this is going to be a distraction. Um, I can tell you that in my view, it gets worse than that because when you go to look at a, an exit at some point, uh, if you all of a sudden you're in 15 different businesses that have different profitability and different markets, mm-hmm. you, a single buyer, a single investor who might understand one vertical or one space can't get their hands wrapped or their heads wrapped around how your whole business connects to each other. And so you limit the number of people that are interested to invest, interested to acquire, uh, or maybe even interested to get involved with, you know, you, you can't just target one uh, one vertical or, or one set of experiences. And so maybe you can't do the extreme like we did and keep it to a single product. But uh, definitely you got to think really hard before you uh, expand each time into to different uh, areas. And I, I really, really like the note you hit on there about um, about saying, is this something that we want to do? Is this something we want to focus our time on? Or do we feel like we're in the space that we want to be in? And do we want to stay true to this, even though it's, um, even though at its, at its core, you know, this is a, again, like in the early stages, a lot of, uh, 
a lot of resources, a lot of money coming in. If we, if we, uh, you know, pursued this, it would ultimately be more distracting and more detrimental in the long run. It, absolutely. Uh, and, and as I said, it's, it's, it's very hard sometimes to, you know, see the forest or the trees or ho- however you want to say that. But, uh, it is one that for us paid off in the end in, in spades was that, that, that dire focus on what the core business was. And it, it does help you sometimes when you have a lot of competing uh, objectives to say, you know, what is really going to move the needle here? Um, is it getting into this other space? Is it doing some professional services work? Or do we say no to this deal with the belief that we can put those same cycles, that same focus uh, into something else? Mm. And uh, on the note of focus, let's uh, switch it a little bit in the in our conversation here. And uh, <laughs> I heard that you were one of Startup Canada's first volunteer team members and that Versature was one of our first ever sponsors. First of all, thank you for that, that we wouldn't have been able to get to where we are today and keep going on the track we're going without uh, without that kind of love. And we really do enjoy using Versature and its products every single day here at Startup. But um, we also want to know from your perspective, why supporting this entrepreneurship community is so important to you? Yeah, I mean, I had heard about Startup Canada, make me feel old here, but uh, a long time ago, uh, <laughs> and what uh, Victoria and the, the founding team there was, was working to do, and uh, I thought I had some some expertise uh, that maybe I could help out with. Uh, my time is always my biggest problem, so I always feel like I don't, uh, don't provide nearly what I'd like to deliver, but uh, over the years, uh, I do think that, uh, you know, we both volunteer with uh, manpower here out of the office, uh, and then and with product. And I do think that uh, sharing the entrepreneurial journey, uh, sharing successes in Canada, because it's so easy in a global world to you know hear about Silicon Valley if you're in the tech world, hear about maybe Texas if you're in you know the resource industry and how they can raise money and how everything's so easy um, to have some of those Canadian stories to know that there is successes here. It doesn't matter where you are across the country. Um, Fundamentally, we believe, and, and we signed on to the 111 model, uh, as it used to be called with Salesforce years ago. It's uh, 1% of uh, staff time, 1% of uh, product, and 1% of equity in the early days. And so we followed that model. We set that up. We have volunteer days for all of our staff, and they volunteer for Startup Canada, but they do all sorts of different things. They're actually headed uh, out uh, to Western Canada uh, once a year for a curling event for the Sanders Schmerler. Uh, telethon. We send phones and staff out to do that. We're always pushing them to volunteer. Uh, we do don't vote, we do donate a significant amount of product. Again, trying to help out community organizations from Salvation Armies and Startup Canada's to different groups across Canada that uh, could use uh, phone service. You know, give them a break on their monthly spend. And then the last one, which I think is the most interesting one, is in the early days we actually put one percent of Verster's equity aside. And uh, we put it into a trust. And so when the acquisition happened, actually funded that trust, which was uh, a very neat experience to kind of see it, it come alive. And it's not uh, versature specific. It's something that Salesforce put in place, GoPro, many other companies have done it. Um, it has been renamed. It's not 111 anymore. I think it's uh, 1%.org uh, mm-hmm. nowadays. That's that's interesting. And that's uh, that it, it really is, uh, it seems like it's something that's like, it's one of those things that you want to bake into a company as, as early as you can, you know, something along the lines of, let's say, for example, um, I don't know, something like workplace culture or, uh, or workplace, you know, like flexibility, uh, things like that. It's just, it, it's doing things right from, uh, from day one, which is, um, again, a, a, a consistent thread that I, uh, I, th- I do think we're having through this uh, conversation here and, uh, and, and kind of shifting and pivoting back to our listeners now. 
Um, how would you recommend, uh, again, based on your operations experience now, how would you recommend our listeners audit and examine their own businesses to find areas that they can save time and costs and things like that and, and avoid reinventing wheels as much as possible? Yeah, and, and one of the lessons that, that we learned that I, I, I always talk about, and it's amazing, I, I always get kicked back from new entrepreneurs, is share. And so I think just like Startup Canada help that. Mm. But I actually mean within even your own space. And so they don't realize that if they go talk to a larger company, they go talk to a competitor, most of them will have lunch with you. Most will talk to you about what they're up to, what's going on, what the challenges are in the space. Uh, there are some that won't, and that's fine. But being open, uh, understanding that you probably don't really have this great secret that if it gets out, you know, you're all going to lose the odds are likely someone else has thought about it. And if you talk to whether it's investors or banks or anyone, share with them what you think that that big secret is, get their opinion. You might not like it. You might not agree with them. But worst case, it's going to help you better understand what's going on. And and this can apply to from back office tools, right, to funding, to marketing campaigns. But if you just keep your best secrets to yourself, uh, you're not really going to execute on them. You're not really going to be as successful as you want to be. And it, it can be very challenging for entrepreneurs. But I think talking about that with, you know, both external, internal, all sorts of different contributors to, to have a conversation about those, those what you consider that, that magic medicine, right? That magic tree, whatever, whatever you think is the core to your business is going to give you that advantage. Uh, share it, talk about it, get it out there and uh, don't, don't keep mm. it hidden away. Yeah, that's that's a consistent thing that's come up uh, a lot on this podcast. Actually, it's it's the sense of like, even if you have this great idea, I mean, the sole fact that it's like it's your idea, nobody else really has the time to put into stealing your idea because everybody else is running their own businesses. Everyone else is really doing their own things, and you know, it's 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 more so just things that just aren't on other people's horizons because they just have so much, you know, going for themselves already that uh, the last thing they're kind of interested in is, is, you know, taking these, uh, these kinds of practices from someone else. And, uh, and really it's, it, it is, yeah, about opening that, um, opening up that conversation in entrepreneurship, making it a two way street of, um, you know, just checking and validating, you know, uh, ideas, uh, against other people in your space, which again, as you said, it's, 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 it's really an interesting dichotomy because ultimately a lot of the people you're talking to are, are people that you're competing with. And those are the best conversations in my experience. And I, I, I mean, I try and give back all the time now. I'll talk to a young entrepreneur who's, you know, thinking about this great app they're going to build. And uh, just, I'm a tech guy. I usually get those conversations. And first thing I say is, well, are there other apps out there that do the same thing? Well, not kind of, sort of, maybe. And I said, well, go talk to them. Well, how would I do that? Why would I want to tell them my idea? So give them a call. They're, they got, as you said, they have enough things going on. That unlikely they want to copy yours. And if they think it's such a great idea that they're going to copy it right away, all they did was validate exactly what your idea was. And uh, the odds are there's room for two out there. And uh, maybe, maybe yep. more noise is going to help you. Uh, but mm -hmm. at the same time, they might say, oh, yeah, we tried that. It didn't work. And you need to seriously look at your assumptions and, and try and figure out what, why it didn't work for them uh, or who they know or or maybe they want to invest in you. Maybe they say, great idea. Let's cut you the first check and, and get you going because we think that's exactly where we want to be and we just can't get there. Um, but you're only going to learn by uh, by talking about it and asking questions. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And uh, and building from there in, in a different area as well. And uh, your experience of being an entrepreneur and now your experience of being, you know, in, in, in operating um, operating versature and in, uh, in now this, this somewhat different role. 
Um, what do you think the most important thing to do in the off hours is to maximize your efficiency and effectiveness during the on hours of your business? So my my calendar is an absolute disaster generally, and it's something I'm trying to work on. Um, but what that really means is I don't get the time to to spend doing the thinking, the learning, the reading, you know, the the trying out tools and technology that, in my belief, has really gotten me where I am today. And so I have to make a conscious effort to try these things, to think about these things, to read books. We, we've created a. Um, a new leadership group here that actually, uh, it's basically a book club. I refuse to call it a book club that, uh, we read leadership books together. We have discussions and it, of course it encourages some of our, our junior leaders to, to think and open these conversations up. Um, I want them spending time doing it, but for myself, I have to spend those hours outside the office to continue to advance. Um, not just, uh, during the day, but otherwise, yeah, tools, testing things, rolling out prototypes, uh, one of the reasons I love Salesforce is I can work on business processes and things outside the office and then bring them back to my day to day. Yeah. So it's really, it's taking the time then to kind of reflect and, uh, and refine and optimize, um, again, and, and, uh, and making the time uh, for it to do so. Yeah. And, and outside the, the restrictions of a day to day, right? Not just in that 60 minute meeting you had with four people where you great, you, you hashed out the plan. You all agree. It's a great idea. Uh, but now you get a chance to maybe go spend a little more time on a competitor's site or go learn about a couple of products that are doing what you're thinking you want to do. So you can get your head, uh, you know, sort of really wrapped around what's going on. And, uh, th those are to me are the, the big contributions you mm -hmm. can make. And, and how would you say, like, what, what would you say the best justification is, uh, you know, entrepreneurs could use to, uh, to say that like, that is something worth doing. That is, you know, that is time well spent, uh, in order to do that. Like how, how do you, how do you have that conversation with yourself or with your clients or with, you know, uh, people on your team and saying, we need to spend the time focusing on, on reflecting on our processes, on auditing, on improving and, uh, and using this to move forward as opposed to just, you know, moving at a breakneck pace with, with everything that we have going right now, uh, just because we are, we know it and we're comfortable with it and it works well enough for now. I think it's more about sustainability. And so if you can break those up and, and, uh, I was watching a, a documentary the other day and they were talking about. Uh, some of the music industry and how they do their own music and then they spend time producing and writing for other artists but they actually consider that a different thing and so they step away from their own when they need a break and they actually find working they're still doing the same thing right they're a music producer they're they're working with the same tools the same thoughts and, and music but it's a different it's, it's a break from their own tasks over to a different set of tasks and a different different perspective and I think similarly to that, that's how I look at the technology business. I love technology and I love business, uh, but it actually allows me to, to step out and, and, and maybe, you know, swivel in my chair or, or however you want to say, it, look at the business from a different angle, uh, maybe work on some tooling or a business process that isn't in my day to day. Uh, but the learning and the thought process and the research that goes into doing that helps me every day. Uh, so it, you really, I think you have to live it. You know, you got to live the business. You got to love what you're doing. Uh, otherwise, you're not, you're not going to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, uh, that's uh, again, an, another perfect lead and into, uh, into one of my last few questions here, which is um, in, if you had to put it in one sentence, how do entrepreneurs be their best business selves every day? I think it's about not jumping to, to rash decisions. Excuse me. I think it's about 
you know, taking everything for, for what it is and trying to make, uh, if I take it back to where we started, make decisions for the long term, do the, do the right thing, um, even when it's the, the hard thing. And uh, that could be, as I said, doing, maybe it's doing research, maybe it's looking into it, maybe it's hiring somebody that's a little more expensive or, or it could be someone more junior that you want to train in. But looking at what you, you need to do and being bought in for the long haul and uh, take that into every decision you make, whether it's technology, finance, HR, uh, know, know where you're going and, and, and live to it. Mm. Look for that light at the end of the tunnel with a telescope. Yeah, and hopefully the telescope gets bigger every day, right? But uh, some days it's going to feel like it's getting smaller, and you just got to remember what it looked like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel like this actually does uh, does cover very well this question as well. But just want to uh, to put it to you as we come to the end of the conversation here. Um, based on everything we've just talked about, what uh, do you think is the most actionable piece of advice from our conversation that entrepreneurs could take and implement in their businesses immediately after listening? Simplify, right? So, so we talked about not getting distracted by other businesses. So, understand what your core is, and uh, you know, as a, as a, as I said, try and think about is this the right thing for that piece. But uh, a lot of the time, you get stuck adding to it and complexifying your decision making matrix, complexifying your business, and wherever you can make your life easier, uh, simplify it, cut it back. Uh, do I have to be doing this thing? You know, you get that out of time management. People say, you know, look at it and say, what are the five things I can cut out of these 10 things? You have to be doing that all the time, but not just with your time, but with your business focus, with your product, with everywhere you can. It's, it's, a, it's a busy world. It's way too easy to, to end up trying to be everything to everyone. That's a fantastic take. Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today, for sharing your time, your wisdom, your expertise. Uh, if our audience wants to connect with you and learn more about you and Versature, what would you suggest they do? Easiest way to find me is easy on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm happy to, to connect up and, and reach out. And I meet up with entrepreneurs on a, you know, I'd say a monthly basis. Uh, when I travel and go different places and have a chance to chat, I'd love to hear about different businesses. So don't hesitate to reach out and uh, be happy to, to have a conversation. Jonathan, thanks again for your time so much. And, uh, and again, we really can't thank you enough for sharing uh, all of your insights. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. And thanks again for taking the time to be on the show. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Until next week, I'm your host, Matt Curtis. Go check out the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. 